0: where we seek to inform our minds with truth in order to inflame our hearts with love for God and neighbor. I'm Brad Owens. I'm excited that you're joining me today for another episode. We are making good progress through our Cracker Jack acronym as we unpack God's big story in the Bible. The Bible is filled with all sorts of different stories, but the big story is what holds it all together and shows the unity in all the diversity of stories. You could say it this way The Bible is filled with lots of stories, plural, but all these stories tell one big story, singular, that is a central theme of the Bible as a whole. At its core, the Bible is about what the holy God has done to rescue an unholy people, and to bring them back into his holy presence to glorify and to enjoy him forever. Today, we tackle the A in the word Jack, which stands for all nations. This part of the big story of Scripture focuses on the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and the explosive spread of the gospel in the early church, which is recorded for us in the book of Acts. After Jesus ascends into heaven to rule from the Father's right hand, the church waits for the arrival of the Holy Spirit and then explodes outward in mission toward the lost world. They stop at nothing to get the word out of what Christ has done to save sinners from the judgment they deserve. They give up comfort and security and their resources in order to further the spread of the gospel throughout the world. The energy and excitement we see motivating the church in the book of Acts is meant to be a massive motivation and a source of conviction for us today. The missionary zeal we find in the pages of Acts sometimes seems foreign to the way that we live our lives. And sometimes we need a good kick in the pants to remind us what matters most. And the book of Acts brings that conviction and gives us motivation to live for His glory above all else. John Frame, in his Systematic Theology book, pinpoints three things that capture the mission that God gave the church. His people are to live in hot pursuit of these three things, which are worship, evangelism, and discipleship. You can remember these with the acronym DEW, like Mountain Dew. Just as Mountain Dew is the most glorious supreme drink on the planet, Discipleship, evangelism, and worship are the supreme tasks God calls us to as His people. This is what we are to be about. We are called to worship the Lord alone, to spread the gospel around the world through evangelism, and to deepen other believers' love for Christ through intentional discipleship. So let's think through each of these weighty and wonderful responsibilities a little bit more. We'll walk through the DO acronym backwards, tackling worship first, then evangelism, and then discipleship. And all of these are aimed at bringing all nations to faith in Christ and into a life-giving relationship with the three-in-one God who made us all. John Piper has said before that missions exist because worship doesn't. His point is that the reason we do missions Seeking to spread the gospel through our lips and our lives and thoroughly discipling other believers is to transform those who want nothing to do with God into those who find their greatest delight in Him. Our mission as the church is to restore sinners back into their proper role as worshipers of the one true God. This is what we were made for. As Augustine has said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Him. True rest and true joy can be found only in the Lord. And the gospel has paved the way for sinners to come back to Him. That's what we are tasked by God with, to go out and share this message so that the lost can return to the one who made them, the one who loves them, and the one who died to deliver his people from eternal separation from God. All over the pages of Scripture, we find this global missionary impulse but listen to how it is packed into the words of Psalm 67. This is a very short psalm, so I'll read the whole thing, but listen for all the ways this psalm highlights the global desire for all nations to worship and to praise the Lord. Here Psalm 67. It says, "May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations." Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So, as you can see, one of this Psalm's central themes is that God be worshipped by all peoples of the earth. And this goal is only realized, of course, as God works through the missionary and evangelistic efforts of his people, spreading the good news of his glorious grace. And this global goal becomes a reality as we live faithfully in our local contexts. Wherever we are, we are to live for God's glory and for the good of our neighbors. First Corinthians 10:31 says. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We are to live in worship of Him. And by God's grace, our worship of the one true God, as we let it be known publicly and in relationships with others, can become contagious and can infect those that God has placed around us. This contagious worship is what we see in the book of Acts the early church worshiped God with all their hearts and sought to align their lives with God's Word. And their desire for God and their devotion to Him infected many of the people they bumped into. As God's people occupied themselves with worshiping God, this naturally spilled over into a longing to see others worshiping Him too. And in this way, their worship of God led to evangelism and discipleship of those around them. Evangelism is about sharing the life giving news of Christ's sacrifice in place of sinners and calling people to respond to it in repentance and faith to enjoy the benefits of the gospel. The gospel is like sunscreen. If you don't apply it to yourself, it does you no good. And the way we apply the gospel is through repentance and faith, or turning and trusting. We turn away from our sins, we trust in Christ alone for salvation and then we treasure him above all else the rest of our days. In Matthew 28, we find the Great Commission, which summarizes our responsibility as the church to evangelize and disciple the nations. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now this is the church's marching orders throughout the rest of history. Wherever we go, we are to make evangelism and discipleship our priorities as we embrace God's mission to continue saving and sanctifying sinners. Hebrews 13 verse 15 encourages us with these words. It says, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We are called to acknowledge his name in a public way. Our faith in Christ is not meant to be hidden out of sight, but instead we are to be those who let their love for Christ and their allegiance to his word be known. This is hard in a culture like ours, which isn't unlike many other cultures in which Christians have found themselves throughout the ages. Our moment in history, although unique, has much overlap with what the saints of previous generations have experienced. Antagonism toward the one true God is to be expected by a world set in their rebellious ways. And this is where we would all be if it weren't for the grace of God that changed our sinful hearts through faith in the gospel. As God's people, though, we are called to reach, to teach, and to unleash disciples into the world. Evangelism is about that first part, reaching others. We want to reach others with God's saving grace by being faithful to share the gospel as the Lord gives us opportunities. In evangelism, we are inviting others to consider Jesus and His Word. We're not asking them to consider our thoughts, but God's thoughts revealed to us in the Bible. God's Word is where we want to point people in our evangelism. As we seek to do this, here are some helpful things to keep in mind for engaging non-Christians with the gospel. First of all, pray. Pray for the non-Christians in your life. Start by consistently praying for them and asking God to be at work in their hearts preparing them for good gospel conversations. We must pray because we are powerless to change anyone's heart. Our part is to do the sharing, but God must do the saving. And because of this, we pray and ask God to do what only he can do. And second, ask good questions. Good questions can be so powerful. With good questions, we can draw out a person's heart their hurts, their doubts, their questions. Once those deep heart issues get put out on the table, we can really begin making progress in tackling the obstacles that stand in a person's way. Ultimately, of course, the biggest obstacle is a person's sin, but the hurts and the hurdles that a person expresses are not unimportant. We need to ask good questions and listen well to know the best way to move forward in the relationship. In fact, an entire book has been written on how Jesus employed good questions in his ministry and how his ministry serves as a model for our own. The book is called Questioning Evangelism by Randy Newman, and it is a great book. So if you'd like something else to dig into that unpacks this more thoroughly, then that book would be a great place to go. And third, don't be afraid of not knowing the answer to a tough question. The truth is that we won't know all the answers to every question. There are some hard questions that can be asked, but it's okay not to know the answer right away. Admitting that you're unsure and need to go do some digging is a great way to show humility and circling back around to the conversation after you've searched for a satisfying answer to the question has the potential to show them that the Christian faith has answers to the hard questions of life. It also provides another opportunity to have a conversation about things that matter immensely. Rarely does a person come to faith in Christ through one isolated conversation. Oftentimes, it's through an ongoing conversation with someone that they trust that God works so powerfully. So keep the conversation going, and don't be afraid to say that you'll have to get back to them later if you need to do some reading and studying first. You know, One helpful way to think about it is like this relationships are like bridges. The sturdier the bridge is, the heavier cargo you can send across it. If the bridge is not sturdy and you try to send a heavy load across it, it could collapse. So as we develop friendships with non-Christians who have questions and concerns about the Christian faith, we want to truly love and care for them so that the relationship is strong. Then we need wisdom and discernment to know when and how to bring up some of the harder and heavier truths of Christianity. Things like the eternality of hell, that we deserve to go there because of our sin, or that Christ is the only source of salvation for sinners. And, of course, all the ethical issues in our culture that God's word challenges and confronts. It's not easy knowing how to navigate these things. But at some point, they become necessary elements of faithful evangelism and discipleship. And once someone comes to faith in Christ, the work is not done. In fact, it's far from being done. Once a person has trusted in Christ, they have now become a little baby Christian. And they need so much care and support as they learn what it looks like to grow up into Christ and to navigate the Christian life with all of its challenges and temptations. Remember, we are called to reach, to teach, and to unleash disciples into the world. Evangelism is about reaching lost people and seeing them embrace faith in Christ. But discipleship is about the ongoing teaching and training that is needed for a person to then be unleashed out into the world to accomplish God's purposes. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2, is a great discipleship passage. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here we see how the vertical empowers the horizontal. Our relationship with God fuels our ministry and our love toward others. First, the vertical. We are told to personally be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And as we do this, the horizontal flows out of the vertical. Our joy in the Lord spills out into deliberate discipleship. It says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will then be able to teach others also. So there is an intentional investment in others that flows from the joy and excitement that we are finding in our relationship with the Lord. If you've ever tried to invest in something worthwhile, you know how much thought and restraint and discipline is needed. Investing our money first requires that we exercise self-control by saying no to unnecessary purchases and saving our money. We must think through where we should invest our money or think about investing in your physical fitness. Great energy and discipline is needed for this. We must watch what we're consuming. We must push ourselves when we want to stop. No pain, no gain, right? And we must think through a plan that we will then stick to. Investing in the spiritual development of others is no easy thing either. We need a plan. We need resolve. We need determination. And we need an exciting vision that keeps us moving toward our goal. Just as a vision of ourselves with bigger muscles and a leaner body can motivate us to keep working hard, so a vision of development for those we are discipling is needed to sustain us through all the obstacles and hindrances we face in discipling others. Here are some practical steps as you consider intentionally investing in the spiritual growth of other believers. First, start by asking God to deepen your hunger for his word, and then work toward developing that hunger. Jeremiah 15, verse 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. As we commit ourselves to digging in and to devouring God's word, it will become the delight of our hearts the more we do it. God's word is like a bag of peanut m and One serving just isn't enough. You find yourself always coming back for more. At least that's what I do with peanut M&Ms. Hopefully you've got more self-control than I do. And second, Study how God's word speaks into all areas of life. 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When we dig into scripture and mine it for all it's worth, we are equipped for every good work, Everything God calls us to, he equips us to do through his word. In scripture, we find all we need to live a life that fully pleases the Lord and fulfills the purpose he has given to us in life. As we plumb the depths of scripture and dig out its treasures, our pursuit will influence those we disciple. They will be invigorated to do the same as they see us chasing hard after Christ. And third. Pray and ask God to help you identify one or two people that you could begin intentionally investing in, and then ask them to meet regularly. Come up with a plan and walk through it together. A great place to start would be with Greg Ogden's book, Discipleship Essentials. It covers the core truths of Christianity in a way that calls the disciple to dig into scripture for him or herself and to experience his life-changing power. And lastly, prayerfully lead them to invest in others as the end goal of your discipleship relationship. This is what discipleship is all about. It's about sending another thoroughly trained, mature disciple into the world to make a difference for Christ. Once we have reached the lost, taught them the core truths of the Bible, established them in a trajectory of spiritual growth, and equipped them for ministry and service Then we unleash them so they can go invest in others too. As we wrap up this episode, let me suggest a little homework assignment. Just kidding. Don't think of it as a homework assignment. That'll just destroy any motivation you may have for it. Think of it more as a call to discover something glorious. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, the book of Acts is where we find the early church hitting the ground running in response to the Great Commission. Reading through the book of Acts, looking for the three themes we've talked about, worship, evangelism, and discipleship, would be a super encouraging and motivating study. So as we finish up, let me just suggest taking one chapter of Acts each day, prayerfully reading through it, and looking for where you see these three themes in its pages. As you do this, ask God to work in your heart to cultivate the same missionary and evangelistic zeal that the early church demonstrated in the pages of this book. I think God would be absolutely delighted with such a prayer. Well, that's it for this episode of Informed and Inflamed. Thanks so much for joining me, and I look forward to connecting with you again next time.